0: Good morning, Rock family. It's good to be back. Thank you for the time that you allowed us to be away. Cynthia and I enjoyed being grandparents to three little grandsons for about seven days. Um, Five, three, and one years old. And uh, I must say that when they dropped us off at the hotel in Regina so that we could catch our flight out, The next morning, Cynthia slept for 11 hours straight, (laughs) but it was still a great time. I did listen to Wayne's message based in the book of Ruth, Uh, positioning, right, and uh, great exposition. Tyler, this was not up yet, I'll listen to it later, but but I think they had some challenges with the internet here at the church, but uh, regardless, I want to... Just acknowledge and thank God for the leadership that he has blessed us with here at the Rock Community Church. Um, thank you, Wayne and, and Tyler, for doing such a great job at exposing God's word. Let's turn once again to John chapter 8 this morning. You'll remember that John's purpose for writing this fourth gospel account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ is just stated like an arrowhead. So that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in His name. What a great book to come to after a song like we just sung. "Near Jesus." To the, this is how we get near to Jesus by studying His life. And as we come to John chapter eight, Jesus' relationship with the Jews. Remember when John uses that label, the Jews, he's speaking of the religious establishment, the leadership of Judaism. Jesus' relationship with the Jews has deteriorated significantly. Already in John chapter 5, verse 18, we were informed that they were seeking all the more to kill him. That reality caused Jesus to avoid the province of Judea according to the first verse in John chapter 7 because they were seeking all the more to kill him. That reality caused Jesus to avoid the province of Judea. And so we shouldn't be surprised when Jesus finally does decide to enter the province of Judea on a return trip to Jerusalem to celebrate one of those annual Jewish festivals, we should not be surprised when the Jewish establishment does not roll out the red carpet or or welcome him back with open arms. In fact, I would like to suggest that Jesus does nothing to alleviate their concerns. In fact, he does just the opposite. Look at the end of verse 13. The Jews charged him with, your testimony is not true. It's not valid. Jesus responds in verse 14. My testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Verse 19, you know neither me nor my Father. Remember, these Jews understood that Jesus was claiming that their God was his Father. Check out the end of verse 18 in John chapter 5. Here, Jesus, Jesus is accusing them of not knowing their own God. How would you respond? If someone walked in this morning and told you that you were not a Christian, how would you react? Verse 23, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. In other words, we are polar opposites. We are as different as white is to black. We are definitely not on the same team. In fact, we stand at opposite ends of the continuum. Verse 24. Well, it just seems rather harsh, don't you think? Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus is definitely not reaching across the aisle to establish some kind of bipartisan relationship. It's just not going to happen. But what is really happening in these verses? In John chapter 8, what's happening here? The Jews are coming face to face with the truth. Nose to nose. Remember John chapter 1, verse 14? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory. Glory is the only begotten from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Full of truth. Look at verse 31 and 32 in John chapter 8. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free or make you free. Don't miss that condition clause. If you continue. It implies not only exposure to the truth, but an appropriate response to his words. In other words, obedience. If you do that, You are genuine disciples of mine. You will know the truth. And thirdly, the truth will set you free. Free from the bondage of sin that plagues all of us. Wow. And that is the truth, according to Jesus. Notice Jesus' statement in verse 40. You are seeking to kill me, a man who told you the truth. These Jews, they're standing face to face with the truth dressed in human flesh. This morning we're going to complete our study of John chapter 8 by looking at verses 48 through to the end of the chapter. In these verses, we'll discover why truth-telling is so difficult. There are three reasons, good reasons, demonstrated in this face-to-face encounter, involving, on the one side, these Jews, who were absolutely convinced that they were God's spokespersons. They considered themselves to be God's representatives on the planet. And on the other side, we have Jesus, the one who claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. The embodiment of the truth was standing in front of them, live and in living color, and they could not see the forest for the trees. How about you and me? How do we handle the truth? How do you receive it or communicate it to others? Are we truth tellers, really? Please stand with me for the reading from God's word. I'll begin reading at verse 42 of John chapter 8 and read through to the end of the chapter. Beginning at verse 42 of John chapter 8, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God, for I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I am saying? It is because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon. But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I glory my, glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not, I do not know him, I will be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore they picked up stones to throw at him, But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. God, help us to understand his word and not just understand it, but respond appropriately to it. You may be seated. Allow me to lead us in prayer. Father, your word is truth. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that we can work out our salvation as as you work in us making us adequate, equipped for every good work, holy, set apart for your purposes. Help us to hear and understand this portion of John's account of the life and ministry of Jesus. May we see spiritual realities, the truth about you, about life in this world, about ourselves and then help us to respond to the truth in ways that enable us to become more like Jesus. For some, it may involve repentance. For others, a change in the way they think. For others, an adjustment in our actions and our reactions. For still others, it may mean speaking up sharing your truth with others whatever it is Lord may our response be such that it causes others to notice and conclude that we have spent time with you transform us we pray by your power and for your glory in Jesus name Amen I think we'll all agree Truth-telling is difficult. It's just tough. Truth-telling is difficult because sometimes the truth hurts. And you can't, for a minute, believe that Jesus, in telling the truth, didn't know that it was going to hurt. You can't say the kinds of things that he said to the Jews, here recorded in John chapter 8, without knowing that they were going to hurt. Verse 43, you cannot hear my word. Verse 44, you are of your the father, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. Verse 45, you do not believe me, uh, because I speak the truth. He's saying, You repel. The truth, like a can of off, repels mosquitoes. Verse 47, you do not hear them. That is the words of God, because you are not of God. Jesus was saying the truth is, you're hearing impaired. You belong to God's enemy. You are unbelievers, regardless of your claim in verse 31. You are not God's children. Jesus was, in the words of Eugene Peterson's translation of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, he was using a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying them open so that they might listen and obey. I would like to suggest that laying someone open is never a pleasant exercise for either party, for the one holding the scalpel or for the one that's under the scalpel. Jesus Christ is God dressed in human flesh, the God who is identified as the God of truth. King David, in Psalm 31, verse 5, wrote, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord, God of truth. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah referred to the Lord as the God of truth twice in chapter 65, verse 16. The writer of Hebrews assures us that it is impossible For God to lie. In chapter 6, verse 18. He is the God of truth. Now contrast that with their father, the devil. Verse 44. Who does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So here we have the God of truth versus the one in whom There is no truth. John chapter 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples. They've just left the upper room where they celebrated the Passover meal together. They're making their way through the streets of Jerusalem. They'll go down through the valley of Kidron, up into the garden of Gethsemane. And so as he walks, he prays. And Jesus asks his father specifically, to sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The God of the Bible will always tell us the truth, even when it hurts. As his ambassadors, his representatives, we could do no less. Be committed truth-tellers. Jesus embodied the truth, and the Word became flesh. We now have this truth in, in written form, the inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient Word of God that we can study and proclaim. The truth. Collectively, as a church, it is our duty to proclaim this truth without apology or appeasement or compromise. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young understudy, Timothy, who is pastoring the church in the city of Ephesus when he wrote these words. I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. The Rock Community Church is a localized expression. The church of the living God here in Woodstock, Ontario. We are to be the pillar and support of the truth in this community. As a church, we must be committed to truth-telling, even when it hurts, or when others might find it offensive, or when it appears to be intolerant. And I know Canadians pride themselves in being inclusive and tolerant, but those are not standards of biblical christianity i subscribed to a blog that had an interesting statement this week about tolerance in fact they they kind of pointing out the shift in the definition of tolerance in our society today this is what he writes tolerance used to mean that we could agree to disagree Now, tolerance means that you must agree with, affirm, and celebrate what I want. That's what tolerance is. That's not tolerance, he writes. That's coercion or brainwashing. The Rock Community Church is to be a place where the truth is celebrated, proclaimed, and obeyed even when it may hurt, be offensive, is countercultural, or unappreciated. We're also to be committed truth-tellers individual, individually as well. Don't make excuses for bad or inappropriate behavior. Oh, that's just George. Don't do that. No, we need to tell the truth as an expression of our love and concern. Do not let a brother or sister run the race set before us, entangled or encumbered by sin that so easily entangles us. Speak up. Take them out for coffee. I used to work with Bill Fiji, president of the... AGC, and he had a cute saying. He'd say, well, it's time to have a sit-down-and-come-to-Jesus meeting. Are those conversations easy? Difficult? You bet they are. They may get defensive, withdraw, turn on you, deny, accuse, excuse. But we are not responsible for their actions or reactions. It is our duty to love them enough to take the risk to talk to them and not about them. Become a committed truth teller. Even in those times when you think it's going to hurt. Maybe hurt you or Or maybe hurt the person you're telling the truth to. Truth telling is difficult because sometimes the truth hurts. And truth telling is difficult because not everyone can hear the truth. Often, when I approach a narrative section of scripture like this in John chapter 8, I will fill out a a dialogue chart. It looks something like this. For this chapter, you can't see the details, I realize that, but you'll see three columns. For this chapter, what I would do is walk through it. And how many people are contributing to this conversation in this passage of scripture? And so those would be across the top of the, the page. Obviously, you have Jesus, he's speaking, and then the Jews, and then the third column, don't forget the narrator. He's kind of the tour guide that guides us through this conversation. And so I take it and I break it out and put each section in their column. And as I studied this passage further, I found it really helpful to look at each of those conversations or contributors separately. And so the Jews took exception to Jesus' truth-telling. Look at verse 48. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So the Jews attacked Jesus' character. That's how they respond to the the truth. By calling him names and accusing him of being demon-possessed. An evil man. Maybe even questioning his mental stability. In fact, in, in John chapter 10, verse 20, many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. They also called Jesus a Samaritan. We know from John chapter 3, where he meets a Samaritan woman, calling him a half-breed. They despised Samaritans and wanted nothing to do with them. It's a derogatory name. You know, I remember a girl in grade, grades 5 and 6. Her name was Susan. Came from a poor home. It was a big girl, heavy and not well kept. We were mercilessly in the name calling, demeaning names, constant put downs. I wonder if she ever recovered from those attacks and. The abuse. We heaped on her day after day. Kids can be so mean, can't they? And so can adults. Sometimes when confronted with the truth our knee-jerk response is to attack the messenger. These Jews attacked Jesus' character. Look at verses 52 to 53. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also and you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? Who do you you think you are? Abraham and the prophets lived righteous lives, and they're all dead. How can you make these kinds of ridiculous offers? If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So the Jews challenged his credentials, or his credibility. People can say all kinds of outrageous things, can't they? These Jews were accusing Jesus of being nothing but a fraud. Verse 57, they speak again. So the Jews said to him, You're not 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham? Yeah, right. So they questioned his claim. It is not possible for you to have seen Abraham. He's been dead for centuries. And then the final action of these Jews was using no words. In verse 59, they picked up stones. They were going to end his life. The Jews threatened him physically. Isn't that just how the stages of our arguments unfold? Usually, it starts with a a verbal debate. Emotions start to rise. We get angry. Our voices rise. Then the attacks become personal. Name calling. You're just like your mother. The final stage is the use of physical intimidation. And if you're smart enough to figure out, oh, I can't win that battle, then you just clam up and walk away. That can be just as effective. Because it's all about power at this stage. The Jews threatened Jesus physically when they picked up the stone. You see, God's truth, it can be suppressed. And what these Jews were doing was suppressing or avoiding or resisting the truth to the point where they were threatening to eliminate the truth teller. I want the path to these two verses well-worn in our Bibles. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And if you haven't highlighted it yet or underlined it in your Bible, please do. It's a critical verse. For the wrath of God, verse 18 of Romans chapter 1, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. The truth of God. Can be suppressed. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. Another one to highlight, underline, think about, be really conscious of. But a natural man, verse 14, a man without God, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised or spiritually discerned. We live in a world where the majority suppresses the truth and does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. In that world, we are called to be credible truth-tellers. Be committed to the truth, and be credible truth-tellers. Embrace the truth. Embrace the truth about us. That's the first step toward becoming a a credible truth-teller. In order to embrace it, we'll need to be exposed to it. And so showing up here, week after week, is a great start. Thank you for coming this morning and speaking on behalf of the leadership here at TRCC, that as you come, you will find us celebrating, proclaiming, and demonstrating a high view of Scripture and a high view of God. In our minds and hearts, they are ministry non-negotiables. But let me encourage all of us to take the next step by making a habit of exposing ourselves to the contents of this book on a more regular basis. If that has not been your habit, to have some kind of contact with this Word of God during the week, let me encourage you to make a habit or to begin the habit of picking up one of the copies of Our Daily Bread. They've just arrived for September, October, November. And set this little book on your nightstand or on the kitchen table where you can read it each morning. There's a passage of scripture to read, a verse, and then there's a little story that will help cement it in your head, and then a closing thought for us to think about. And having developed that kind of habit, you may even want to step out and begin to read God's Word on your own. Just read a chapter each day. Work your way through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter. Read a single chapter every day for a week. Jot down some of the things that you find there, things about God, His His person, his character, his plans, his purpose. Things about yourself that are common to humanity. Promises to claim. And then duties and responsibilities that we're to carry out. Make that a habit. Exposing yourself to God's word. Another recommendation that you may want to consider in your efforts to embrace the truth is to connect with a couple of trusted friends on a real regular basis. People that, individuals that you know are genuine followers of Jesus Christ. And give them permission to speak into your life. I know that can be real scary. But listen to what caught my attention this week in one of my times alone in God's word. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 1. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. One of the major strategies of the devil is to keep us apart. Separated. Living independently. I remember years ago reading uh, Stephen Covey's book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. In that book, he has what he calls a growth continuum. And I just found it fascinating then, and I'd like to read what he has written. We each begin life as an infant, totally dependent on others. We are directed, nurtured, and sustained by others. Without this nurturing, we would only live for a few hours or a few days at the most. Then gradually, over the ensuing months and years, we become more and more independent, physically, mentally, emotionally, and financially, until eventually we can essentially take care of ourselves, becoming inner-directed and self-reliant. On the maturity continuum, dependence is a paradigm of you, you, of you. You take care of me, you take care of me. You come through for me, you did, didn't come through. I blame you for the results, that's the dependence stage. Independence is a paradigm of I. I can do it, I got it, I'm responsible and self-reliant, I can choose. This is where the devil wants us to stay. And in North America, we probably celebrate this kind of stage. But there's one more step in the process. And that would be interdependence. Interdependence is a paradigm of we, We can do it. We can cooperate. We can combine our talents and abilities and create something greater together. Allow me to return to Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17 again. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all become one as you and I are one as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be in us so that the world may believe that you sent us. Interdependence. Why else would Jesus establish his church? Working out our salvation was never intended to be a solo flight. I need you. And you need me. This is actually one of the items that is on my daily prayer list. That I pray for TRCC. That we would become the answer to Jesus' prayer here in John chapter 17. Telling the truth is difficult because sometimes the truth hurts. And telling the truth is difficult because not everyone can hear the truth. And finally, telling the truth is difficult. But because it requires strength and courage. Jesus did not appease, compromise, concede or beg. He just told the truth again and again and again. Look at verse 49 to 51 in John chapter eight. Jesus answered, "I, I do not have a demon." But I honor my Father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Interesting. First, we have the reproof I do not have a demon. And then we have the correction but I honor my father and you dishonor me but I do not seek my glory there is one who seeks and judges and finally we have this gracious invitation truly truly I say to you if anyone keeps my word he never sees he will never see death kind of seems like the application of 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 and 17 doesn't it all scripture is profitable all scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching. Certainly, Jesus has been doing that for the last two years. Remember, he's only six to seven months away from his crucifixion. It's a three year ministry. He's been teaching, teaching, teaching. And now he comes to these folks who just have resisted him and he corrects them. He, repro- he reproves them first and then he corrects them and then he gives this wonderful invitation. Jesus' presentation of the truth followed 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Now look at verses 54 to 56. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is, your, he is our God. There's the correction. Now look what or the the reproof. Now look at the correction. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. But I do not know him and, he, and keep his word. And then the, it's kind of a veiled invitation. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Again, we see the reproof, the correction, and the training for righteousness. In other words, Jesus was pointing out that where you've gone wrong, how to make it right, and then how to keep it right. Jesus' final statement is found in verse 58. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was... I am. Before Abraham was born, actually, I am. This is an unbelievably clear self-disclosure that he is the eternal God. And God's truth is enduring. You know, there are only two eternal things in this world, people and God's word. In Psalm 119, verse one sixty. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous ordinances is everlasting. Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. That's on the sign leading to the Bible school that I attended. The word of God, our God stands forever. Hebrews 13:8 puts it this way: Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Remember that movie a number of years ago called A Few Good Men? There's a scene where Tom Cruise, playing a military lawyer, is prosecuting Jack Nicholson, who's a decorated army man. And Jack is on the stand, and and, um, Tom is cross-examining him, or prosecuting him. And Tom Cruise says, I just want the truth. To which Jack Nicholson responds, who's seen the movie? He screams it. You can't handle the truth. Whether we can handle it or not, God's truth is enduring. And he calls us to be courageous truth-tellers. Truth-telling is not for the weak or faint of heart. Jesus warned us in John chapter 15, verses 18 to 20. If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Israel is they were about to enter the promised Land. They were standing on its borders, and Moses had just died, and they had celebrated a 30-day memorial service. And the Lord commissions Joshua to lead them into the promised land with these words in Joshua chapter one verses 6, again in verse 7, and again in verse 9. Be strong and courageous. In fact, verse 9 reads, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Isaiah 41.10 says much the same thing. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God's presence in our lives can make all the difference in the world. I was reading a book this week that um, distinguishes between reformation and transformation. Here's his definition. Reformation equals truth plus trusting in your own strength to do the truth. Transformation equals truth plus trusting in God's strength to perform the truth in and through you. You see the difference? For you and I to be committed, credible, courageous truth-tellers that God intends us to be, we must first respond to the Apostle John's purpose for writing this book and why Jesus engaged these Jews in the first place. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, by first of all acknowledging your sin. You And I, are sinful people, from the moment of our conception, acknowledge that. Believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. Did what the scriptures say he did. And will do what he promised he will do. Believe that with all of your heart. Be convinced of that. And then ask him to become your savior and the leader of your life. God's presence in your life will allow you to become that committed, credible, courageous truth teller. Makes it possible. Apart from that, you can do it in your own effort to a certain degree, but you'll stumble and fall. Not that I won't, but I'm moving towards a place where I'm becoming a better. And then finally, the biggest obstacle you and I face in becoming a truth teller is the fear of man. And it is something that you and I will do battle with every day of our life. Apostle Paul wrote these words to Galatians chapter, the Galatians in chapter 1 verse 10. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Fear of man will keep us from being all that God intends us to be. And we can win that battle in the power of Christ because he's present in our lives. He will give us strength and courage. Telling the truth is difficult because sometimes truth hurts. Because not everyone can hear the truth because it requires strength and courage. We are called to be committed, credible, and courageous truth-tellers by his power and for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.